Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clatch. This is Marianne Russo. I'm saying hello to Chuck Wally and Mae Wilkinson over on our Twitter tweet chat using the hashtag TCK. You can join everyone over there and discuss the interview. Um, I am really excited about this interview because it's interviews like this in the past where we've had parents say, oh my gosh, that's what my child has. And um, this interview is really, really important to all parents who have a child with dyslexia, dyspraxia, apraxia. Really important for you to listen to my guest. Um, I am thrilled to have Dr. Samango Sprouse. Uh, She is the director of the Neurodevelopmental Diagnostic Center for Young Children and an associate clinical professor in the Department of Pediatrics at the George Washington University. She serves as the Executive Director and Chief Science Officer of the Focus Foundation and has extensive experience with the three disorders that are um, the focus of the foundation, XY chromosomal variations, developmental dyspraxia, and dyslexia. Um, Children with XY variations are often diagnosed before birth, and uh, I think many parents are unaware of the fact that it plays a big role in these disorders. So please welcome Dr. Samango Sprouse. Thank you very much. I'm thrilled to be here. I really look forward to the interview and discussing well, these disorders. I know you're so busy, and we really appreciate you joining us. Um, we have a lot to go over. So, you know, let's start off, um, if you would, by telling us what the presentations are for dyspraxia, you know, apraxia, dyslexia, and why there's so much overlapping. Um, you know, I, I would assume that the current diagnostic criteria um, it is very blurred. So, um, you know, what are the presentations and how does it affect learning and reading in children? Sure. Um, what we see in um, developmental dyspraxia is early on children presenting as infants with difficulty latching onto the breasts. Um, experienced moms will work the babies through it. Then they go on to mild speech delay, sometimes severe speech delay, to you know, depending on the severity of the disorder. And then often we'll have fine motor problems and handwriting problems and then eventually reading disturbance. So they will often be diagnosed with many different delays um, when it is all really under the umbrella of developmental dyspraxia. And when we look at children with dyslexia, our classic um, descriptor is that they are one and a half years behind in their academic performance in comparison to what you would expect for their intellectual capabilities. The difficulty is that we have children now as early as five or six who are presenting classic early signs of reading disturbance. And we should, uh, and I'm hoping we're not going to have to wait until they're a year and a half behind that we can actually get them help because we start describing the early indicators of reading dysfunction. Right, and dyspraxia, um, dyspraxia and apraxia, what is the difference between the two? Are they interchangeable um, names? They are very interchangeable. If you think of praxis, that's motor planning, the ability of identifying something you want to do as simple as walking across the room, standing up, sitting down. We actually never think about that. That happens spontaneously. Your brain automatically identifies the plan, executes the plan, and you do it. Um, But for kids with dyspraxia or apraxia, which are often used interchangeably, 
they actually have to think of each step. And so it's, and they have trouble identifying the steps. So they're clumsy. They can be awkward. They are the, the kids who fall as they're crossing the room, though there's no bump in the rug. Um, and for them, all of these refined or gross motor movements present a challenge. Um, and that becomes a very big issue. And it's easy to look volitional, like the child's intentionally not talking or he's intentionally being in a tent-up versus he's working very hard to sit in his chair and maintain his posture uh, in order to do his work. Right. And, you know, when I was researching for tonight's interview, um, you know, it was described as the child um, appearing to be out of sync with their environment. Um, how is a child with dyspraxia different than a child, let's say, with PDD or Asperger's who seems to be out of sync? Um, I know there's also deficits in social skills and um, behavioral challenges. So um, is is it easy to differentiate? Uh, no, sometimes it isn't easy to differentiate in the least. Uh, one of the things that we see with kids who have dyspraxia and they're out of syncness is that their social engagement can often be much better than, say, a child with Asperger's or PDD and OS. On selected situations, they have good play interactions. They are able to um, engage with a peer nicely um, attached and very consistent with their parents. And so moms will come in and say, I know he gets it. He just can't do it. Um, right. When we look at kids that are more on the spectrum, so there's a motor planning component to that. There's also the difficulty in the child doesn't always understand how to socially engage or doesn't know how to execute the peer interaction. Is it different in some way than executive functioning? It is different than executive functioning. Oh, I write about frontal lobe function and the idea of um, executive function is working memory, your ability to organize, to inhibit, um, to plan and sustain. The developmental dyspraxia is more basic than that. It's everything is challenging for you. So some of the simplest things in young kids, such as being able to vocalize an imitation of what your mother is saying is hard, even though you have it spontaneously. When your mother says, you know, she's heard you say ball a thousand times spontaneously, but she holds the ball in front of you and says, what's this? The child on command can't execute it. And when we think of executive function, we think of it organizationally. For these kids, it is much more um, at a much more basic level, some of the most simplest plans are difficult. Executive function is a part of it, but it's more. Right. Are there sensory issues also? Um, there are sensory issues, not so much in children with dyslexia, though some have it. With children with dyspraxia, there is a very strong sensory component, typically vestibular and touch, um, because posturally they're not sure of where they are in space, and so they're... They, you know, we sort of talk about them like, you know, Buddha bears as young babies and as preschoolers, extremely cautious on the playground. As school-age kids, they're the kids who don't want to be bumped on during sports, um, get, you know, ruffled and overwhelmed in the hallway because both of the noise and kids in front of them back them. 
But I think the degree of sensory dysfunction is less than what we see, say, for children who are on the spectrum or um, more complex than we would typically see with children with dyslexia. It's just so confusing for parents. I mean, as I'm listening to it, um, is this dimensional? I mean, does it vary in levels of impairment? Or, you know, do the kids pretty much that have dyspraxia have um, most of the presentations? No, it, it is dimensional and it's spectrum. It, it has a spectrum to it in, or a continuum. And you can have very mild cases. Like think of Daniel Radcliffe who, you know, uh, acknowledges his developmental dyspraxia. His was very refined. It was very specific into more activities of daily living and some of the writing perspective. And then you have other kids. We have kids in our practice. We have 150 to 200 children with just developmental dyspraxia, no known cause, who range from nonverbal at eight to if you met them, at some of them you would not know there were any issues until you saw them on the playground trying to play soccer or trying to put paper, you know, uh, pencil onto paper. So it can be very specific and very mild, which is some of the, it's the good news, but it's also the bad news because they're often missed. Yeah, those are the ones that fall through the cracks. That's um, right. To complicate to complicate matters, um, there is an XY variation, which I really don't know anything about. So I, I'm really interested in hearing um, what an XY variation is, and um, you know how it plays a role in the disorder. And um, you know, I'm just really curious um, if you do find that um, there is an XY variation, does it change what you see in the presentation or in the way that you would treat the child? So why don't you start by telling us what an XY variation is, and then you can just go into um, how it plays a role in dyspraxia. Sure. Um, X and Y chromosomal variations have actually been around since, like, the 1960s, and it is, you know, as females, we have 46 chromosomes and we have two Xs, and they're called the sex chromosomes. Males have an X and a Y. So a child with a chromosomal um, variation of X and Y has, boys can have two Xs and Y. So they have an additional X, or they can have two Ys and an X, an additional Y. Or girls can have three Xs rather than two Xs. So they are essentially, instead of 46 chromosomes, 47 chromosomes. And for a very long time, it was believed that they were sort of didn't present difficulties until they were school age. But we've documented, as other researchers have, quite clearly these are babies who are different from birth on, and they often end up in early intervention services under the um, diagnosis of hypotonia and gross motor delay, speech delay, behavioral problems. Um, and that led us to this very interesting finding. I had been very familiar for years with developmental dyspraxia and with technology called amniocentesis. We had mothers over 35 being diagnosed and these boys and girls were being identified and they were, you know, going to delivery and we were following them from birth on. And we then started seeing this evolution of dyspraxia from as young as two to three months of age. Baby um, low muscle tone, 
but not so low that he couldn't move, but couldn't figure out how to roll over, or would roll over once but couldn't do it sequentially. And so we did very systematically documented it across the domains, you know, neuromotor, gross motor, fine motor, speech and language, and we're able to see sort of the many stages that dyspraxia presents itself in from early on until, you know, when everybody else typically identifies it between three and five. So it afforded us a great opportunity to learn about, a lot about dyspraxia, and also a lot about the early signs of dyslexia since these boys and girls have 95% chance of having dyslexia or reading dysfunction. Wow. Okay. And the other thing that's important, I think, for families to realize is this is common. It's one in 500 live births. So if you have a child that has developmental delay or is failing in school or has speech delay or has anxiety or motor delay, this is a very easy blood test that can be drawn. Insurance covers it because your child's developmental delay is an indication if your primary care doctor or your geneticist or your neurologist needs to investigate a cause. This is a common cause for those problems. And the importance is for the boys with extra X, there's actually biological treatment for them that um, can minimize, if not eliminate, a lot of the developmental challenges they face. So there's a lot of optimism to be had. Well, what would the um, treatment for the boys be? Well, for the boys with extra X's, they have a hormonal imbalance. They do not produce sufficient testosterone. Um, And it's believed that it may be ongoing. So we actually published an article on a very rare variant of the boys who had four extra X's, um, showing that by giving them testosterone in infancy, we improved their function um, five to eight years later. So we had a very direct, um, you know, association between these early shots and their brain capacity. Uh, So, and additionally, the boys with one extract receive hormone replacement um, starting at 11 years of age um, if they are deficient. So, it's very important that they be identified. They're high risk for medical problems without hormonal replacement, and the hormonal replacement um, develops a variety of areas that would be deficit. So it gets, it improves their muscle tone, it reduces their body fat, um, it puts them in a position to go through puberty in a normal, um, much more appropriate fashion. You know, I think my my followers are sick of uh, hearing me, but I'm constantly telling them to, you know, turn every stone and look for that organic basis because, boy, if you find one, it just just opens all the doors for you. Um, You know, so the XY variation can be detected prenatally, right? Yes. Or at least very early. Um, And, you know, we all know that early intervention is key. But my, my question was, I mean, not all kids that have dyspraxia or dyslexia will have this XY variation, but for those that do, um, is there a difference in the level of impairment and is there a difference in presentation or the way it would be treated? I mean, we know for the boys, but for the girls. Yeah. 
For the girls, there is a difference because what we know, knowledge of a syndrome gives us the ability to do what I write about, which is called targeted treatment and syndrome-specific goals. So one could picture if you're a girl who's three and a half and you have an unknown disorder, general speech delay, and you're having trouble coping in preschool, there's a variety of names that would be given. But if you have a diagnosis of a triple X or an additional X in a girl, we know you're going to have anxiety. Okay, it's highly associated with the disorder. So you then do both preventative and proactive. So there's a variety of of care that would be given that's both cooperative and collaborative with the school and with the parents on how they see the child's behavior. It's much easier to understand because we know the natural history of the disorder. So we can say, for instance, to school systems, if you have a five-year-old boy with an extra X or Y or a girl who's struggling with recognition of letters, we don't need to wait for a year or two or three. We know it is the reading dysfunction surfacing. So the care is very different. It makes it much easier for school systems school systems to implement very targeted programs based on our knowledge of the natural history of the disorder. So it's very helpful. Um, now, would a parent seek an endocrinologist for this type of treatment or testing or developmental? No, that, yeah, the parent could um, actually get this testing from their primary care physician. Uh, it's a very, you know, routine test to order a chromosomal analysis. If indeed the child had um, an extract, so the boy had an extract, then endocrinologists would be one of the specialists involved in the team because of the biological treatment of testosterone replacement. Um, but for the boy, and we believe, and are just beginning, well, we don't know for sure, I should correct myself, we are wondering now if even the extra Y boys may have some hormonal imbalance that needs investigation, and that's sort of on the venue to be, invest, you know, to be thoroughly investigated over the next five years. Are those boys I mean, also imbalanced? It really infuriates me because, you know, as everyone knows, uh, my daughter's um, um, issues wound up being uh, endocrine-related and have been resolved with the proper endocrine treatment. And, you know, I, I, I did several years ago, um, you know, I did like a little uh, private study where, I, you know, I spoke with a lot of psychiatrists and psychologists, and I asked, you know, these girls that were coming in with anxiety disorders and panic attacks and phobias and these boys that had behavioral problems, how many were referred out to an endocrinologist? And not one was sent. Right. Not one. And it infuriated me because so many endocrine diseases or disorders present behaviorally. Um, you know, and it just—it just—that's just my pet peeve. It infuriates me. But um, so, so the XY variation is treatable when it is part of the disorder, um, and you know we know how it's been tested. Um, now, let's say a child does have this, and they're having treatment, but there's still a lot of learning um, difficulties. And as you said, it's not just reading problems; it encompasses a, a, really their whole lives. So. Um, what type of accommodations would you like to see a child with this disorder have through their, yeah, their IEP in their school? Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question. One of the things I tell families is that I really am pushing actually for instruction 
and not in addition to accommodations, I feel like we often accommodate before we even give the child um, the opportunity to have instruction and show both resilience, which we see, and competencies. And by that I mean what I really would like and we get for our patients is we have very specific IEPs that focus on manageable, discrete, small step IEPs. So, you know, I was just on a, um, Skype just a couple of days ago in one of the states saying every goal was not only not measurable, it was not small enough that the child was going to accomplish it in the next two or three years. And I mm-hmm. think a lot of times when special needs kids fail, we attribute it to the special needs rather than to the goal not being appropriately designed so the child could accomplish it. So the kind of instruction I want is I want reading programs, whether it be Linda Mood Bell, Fast Forward, you know, Edmark. There's lots of different programs we use, mm-hmm. aerobics, to encourage and develop the phonemic part of reading um, because we know that's primary deficit. And then we also work on the ocular part of reading, the left-to-right progression that kids with reading dysfunction often don't have, their eyes literally going smoothly from left to right on the page. Um, And then as the kids get older, the the kids with dyspraxia, the kids with dyslexia have a lot of dysgraphia, so difficulty writing. So now we have, you know, tons of creative outlets with the iPad and laptop computers where we can take the challenge of putting pencil to paper to get their thoughts because they're often quite proficient when they're typing versus when they're writing they're not. And, you know, it's important to note that these children are are average or above average in intelligence. Um, So, you know, it's it's really a shame if they're not being given the tools that they need to succeed. Um, I would assume that if this child does have dyspraxia, especially if it's accompanied by the XY variation, this would be in um, other health impaired classification for them to get all their services? That is true. They often are classified under other health impaired and sometimes just under the medical diagnosis. Um, What is most encouraging, and this is true of our young kids with um, dyspraxia as well, when caught early and done in a systematic way, the recovery is just spectacular. Unbelievable. Because you're, you're you're feeding the brain base deficits by recognizing the competencies and then working cooperatively to sort of optimize their outcome. It's a very, it's fun. I mean, it's really quite fun to do. Well, what you're doing is incredible, and you're one of the few people in the world doing it. Um, so tell us what the, your research is, is telling you. Um, because, you know, really the Focus Foundation, which I really haven't mentioned, but, you know, the Focus Foundation is just outstanding. Um, you know, what are you finding? We are finding amazing things. We have um, a baby study that we are now identifying three factors of neurodevelopmental disorders. We're finding children that are high risk for autism by as early as nine months of age. We're getting ready to write those results up. We are working on finding children high risk for dyspraxia between that in that same parameter between nine and twelve months and also finding our babies with X and Y 
very simple maneuvers with uh, primary care doctors. We also have just recently published an article showing that the testosterone replacement in boys with four extra axes um, improved brain function, as I was saying before, and we're, we're in the process of writing up our results on our children with just one extra X. So this becomes very important for identity, you know, for um, early identification because there's a biological treatment. Then the other thing that's most fascinating is we're finding that when dyslexia is identified, the precursors between three and six with our boys with extra access, if we support them visually, so work on the channel that's very strong in their visual recognition and developing a variety of sight words and word recognition and simultaneously work on the area that's weak, which is the phonemic piece. We have many of the boys actually now reading on age level. Um, so they are, they are essentially twice exceptional. Their IQs are above, but their reading function has been normalized. Um, and our goal over the next five years is to see if we can get the reading function as high as their areas of exceptionality. Well, it's just incredible. It's just incredible, you know, the empowerment of knowledge. Um, you know, you've been speaking about you know, that you've been writing, that you've been writing about these topics. Um, can people find your writings online? They can. They can go to the Focus, um, www, the Focus Foundation, and our scientific articles are published. Some of the others are, so to speak, in the hopper moving along. And you'll see on the website that I am in the process of working on a book we're calling The Atypical Learners. And we're taking 25 case studies of some of our patients with dyspraxia, with dyslexia, with extra X and extra Y, and describing sort of three perspectives, my perspective, the parent perspective, and then sort of what the outcome was, what went on within the school. And the reason is I, I find my best studies are from the parents. They are my, the parents are really the best scientists of their, both of disorders and of their own kids. The problem is it's hard for people to sometimes be sensitized and listen to what they say. So every study we've gotten that has been intriguing is because one or two or three parents will say, you know, I wonder about this, and nobody's been able to answer it. And you go back and you go, wow, what a great insight. You know, wouldn't have thought right. of it. Right. Yeah, so parents need to journal, 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 because it's amazing, you know, what, what you find when you look back. Um, and I want to just mention that's the focusfoundation.org. <clears throat> yeah. Dot com. That's .org that's for right. people. And really org. go to the site. Um, also, you have an event coming up on September 25th, um, the Chesapeake Walk. We do in Kinder Park in Mitchellville, Maryland, and we are encouraging families throughout the metropolitan area to join us in the walk um, to raise awareness as well as funds for research. And then we have vir virtual walkers, which people can go online and join us as well, um, with the idea that every time, like from this talk show, every time I present my information, Hundreds of childrens will hundreds of childrens will be identified. Um, so I, I tell the story of a parent. We had an article in Ladies Home Journal, and the mother was reading it while her son had broken his leg and was getting a cast on. And she went to the orthopedist and said, "This sounds just like my son." And he was like, "No, I don't think so." She was, "Yes, draws blood." And sure enough, 
he was identified. So, and we saw her shortly after that, and she was like, "Here I was, all these years, he was five or six. So, Chesapeake right. Walk is to increase awareness. And the other thing that the foundation is really focused on is empowering parents to see the competencies of their children and using sort of cooperation with the parents and the children to then facilitate success, whether it be in school or in a work environment or whatever venue, you know, at home environment. Because in general, all three disorders have extreme ability to be quite successful and quite confident. Right. Well, what you're doing is just incredible. And, you know, I, I just pray that at least, you know, if there's one parent out there that the light goes off and the child is diagnosed, I mean, it's so treatable. It's it's incredible. So, you know, I thank you for what you do. I thank you for joining us tonight. And, again, it's thefocusfoundation.org, and you can find out everything about XY Variations. And, um, you know, again, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. And, you know, my sort of mantra for the foundation is that every child deserves a chance at success and greatness. And with diagnosis and early treatment, that's what we can afford. So, You've given us a wonderful opportunity to help families, so thank you for having me on. Oh, anytime. And, you know, as you find out more research, please keep us posted. Come back. I will. I'd be happy to do that. Okay. Thank you for joining us. All right. Uh, Good night. Good night. Wednesday night, um, we have a really fun show Wednesday night. It's, it's, it's informative and it's fun. Um, our friend, Jean Nickel, the creator of The Eating Game, is going to be on at 9 o'clock. Um, she has created this incredible program um, for difficult eaters, um, children that are either picky eaters or have eating disorders. And um, it's just a, a great program for helping children eat healthy. That will be followed at 9.30 by Lori Briannese Frank, who um, is the um, founder of um, Specialty Store Canada and of Apples to Oranges. And she has a webinar coming up, um, which is just fantastic. It's it's how to successfully transition your child to a gluten-free, casein-free diet, which many of the children on the spectrum um, benefit by. And uh, she is going to be giving a giveaway of the webinar, and she is going to be teaching you how to successfully transition your child and oftentimes your family into a gluten-free diet. And that will be 9.30 on Wednesday. So thank you very much for joining us. As we end the show each day, you are your child's best advocate. If not you, then who? Become an informed, educated parent. Thank you for joining us tonight on The Coffee Clutch. <laughs>